0: Good morning, and welcome again to Wall Street Bible. Glad you're here today. My name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we are in a series called For the Life of the World, and we're looking and trying to answer this question, what is our salvation actually for? Like, uh, okay, I get it, we're saved from God's wrath, and we're saved for, our, for eternity, but, but what about while we're on this earth? And we're in our fifth week together, and each of our 110 groups uh, you're meeting, and there's videos and curriculum that accompany all of this, and our, our children's ministry is studying some of the same topics. And uh, what is our salvation for? Why does it matter on this earth? Well, we started off talking about the fact that uh, we're exiles in this world, that God has sent us into this world, like our mission statement says, to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us, Right? And you're sent here, you're in exile. And uh, we looked at God's instructions to the exiles in Jeremiah uh, to love and care for the place and bless the place where God had sent them. And that those instructions apply to us as well. And And God, in his great plan, he has this great plan, this great economy of working all things together for his glory, the good and life of the world, and for our joy. It's about more than just our salvation. That's a big part of it. But there's so much more to it. And and God desires for you to live that out on this earth as his representative. We talked about his economy of love being in the family and uh, imitating him in our work. And we talked last week about order and justice and hospitality and how all of those things God's woven together for the life of the world. His common grace to anyone whom he's created. Well, today we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to go beyond just all of this knowledge and things we've talked about to uh, what does it matter and taking that knowledge and putting it into practice. We're going to talk about uh, God's economy or plan for knowledge, which is wisdom. It's not just knowing it, it's, it's doing it. So uh, tell you what, let me pray and then we're going to dive in with the definition right away and we're just going to, we're going to jump right in today. You good with that? A couple of you are, the rest of you? All right, good. Let me pray and then, uh, then we'll get rolling. Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. And uh, I want to pray that often, but it's, it's a reminder to me because it's true and I'm thankful, Jesus, for you. Because apart from you, we have no hope. Apart from you um, and your goodness and your grace to us, this is all a waste of time. So thank you for Jesus. Lord, uh, this morning, would you teach us to be more like him, um, help us to learn more of what our salvation is actually for, how to live it out in wisdom, and uh, to truly care for and uh, uh, love others like you've commanded us to, to, to do all the things you've commanded us to, but but most of all, to love you. Holy Spirit, I pray against the enemy and servants, their works and effects. He would uh, take your word and twist it. He would uh, distract us and turn us a different direction, but... Instead, uh, Spirit, would you teach us and change us? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's get a definition on the table right away this morning. What is wisdom? What is wisdom? Well, uh, wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. It's knowledge that's rightly applied. It's not just knowing what's right. It's, it's actually doing it and putting it into action, so why, the, why do we stop this week to look at wisdom? Well, here's the deal. You, you can study God's word uh, for a lifetime, for decades. We can study this topic of what's our salvation for for weeks on end. But uh, if it doesn't result in action in our lives, who cares? We're just puffed up with knowledge. And there's no wisdom in that. Wisdom is when I actually put it into action. Last summer, we studied the book of James, and I I used the same definition of wisdom, that wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. And I contended that for James, uh, wisdom is actually faith rightly lived out. Like his his understanding of wisdom is faith that's rightly lived out. He says faith without what? Works is dead. Faith without works is dead. And, And for James, he said it's faith that's rightly lived out. That's wisdom, well, I would contend that he got this idea from his big brother. Did you know that Jesus, or James' big brother was Jesus? Uh, his half-brother was Jesus? And Jesus wrapped up his Sermon on the Mount with this metaphor. He, uh, I, I kind of paraphrased it to you earlier during the worship set, but let me, let me read to you from Matthew chapter 7. He wraps up his Sermon on the Mount by saying, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them Well, we're talking about godly wisdom today, and I think uh, Jesus wraps up his Sermon on the Mount by telling us what godly wisdom looks like. It's taking what he said and, and putting it into practice. But uh, notice how it starts. Look at look at verse twenty four. Everyone then who uh, hears these words of mine, see, godly wisdom. Wisdom begins with hearing the word. It begins with hearing the word. Everyone, he says, who hears these words of mine, if, if it, it, it does begin with knowledge, like if, if you don't if you don't hear God's word, if you don't get it into your head, if you don't uh, study what it says, if you don't have the knowledge of the truth, then how would you ever be able to live it out? So, knowledge is a key part of it. it it's a really key part. Whoever hears these words, you know, wisdom always begins and ends with God. So, we got to per- position ourselves in a place of listening to God's word. So just you by being here this morning and sitting under the teaching of God's word, uh, you're, you're, you're doing this first part. That's good. You're on that first step to wisdom of, of hearing his word. But um, when, when Jesus talks about hearing, I, he's not talking about it simply in the sense of, 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 of hearing like these audible vibrations off of my vocal cords out of the speakers or, or somebody else reading it. Or that. He's, he's not talking about just hearing sound. Jesus often in his parables, he would say, uh, uh, so whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And, and his whole thing was whoever uh, has ears to hear, let him, let him listen, let him, let him lean in and really pay attention to what I just said. So when Jesus talks about whoever hears these words of mine, he's not talking about just, you know, you turn on the noise and hear the noise, but you're, you're, you're listening. I wonder, do, do you... Make an effort to genuinely listen to God's word and what he would say. Do you have ears to hear? Do you have ears to hear? Being willing to listen can be hard, can't it? And uh, sometimes in our in our flesh, our, our minds can go in and out at different times. And other times just in our flesh, we have some of these, uh, we, we just have some obstacles in our heart or in, in our lives. Uh, something that's blocking us really from hearing and listening to God's word, maybe it's an attitude of our heart or it's, it's sin or it's the way somebody else has sinned against us. And and it can be really hard sometimes to lean in and listen. I, just kind of as a humorous uh, anecdote to this, I, was, I get together with a group of other pastors from the Chicago area. And they're all at churches that are uh, a good size bigger than ours. And so I'm able to learn a lot from them because they've they've been down the road where where we're headed, and uh, it's just, it's a good thing for me. I can learn a lot. But one of them, he was talking about the fact that we were just kind of telling how things were going, and he said, yeah, a couple weeks ago, I had this guy come up to me after the service, and he said, Pastor, great message. Thanks so much for what you said. And then he went on to repeat back to him something that he heard him say. And uh, this guy, his name was Brad. He goes, "Uh, wow, that's great. I'm really glad the Lord spoke to you that way. But then then the guy left, and then he told us, though, he said, I never said a word that guy told me. Like, I went back through my notes, I listened to I never said anything even close to what he said he heard. There's no way he was listening. His mind was totally somewhere else. And I'm, I'm glad that God worked and, and worked in his heart. But man, that was not at all what I said. Not at all what the message was about. L- listening can be hard. Isn't that true? But Jesus says, whoever hears these words, I wonder, do you have ears to hear? Well, the writer of Proverbs uh, in chapter 9, verse 10 says this he says the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom wait a second josh that's opposite of what you is that what you just said you said hearing the word is the beginning well the the scripture says that the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy one is insight knowledge of god see when we're talking about hearing god's word i'm talking about having knowledge of who god is knowing the truth of who he is knowing the teaching of jesus um I wonder if the first source of wisdom is fearing God and if it's hearing his word, maybe we should do that today. Maybe we should just stop and pull back a second and and think about how great and awesome our God is. Because if we're really going to be people who live with wisdom in the world, who who bring life to the world by, by living lives of wisdom in our home, at our work, in our ministry, we ought to have a a reverent fear of God because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and we need to know it. So uh, do you have a Bible? Uh, you're gonna need to get it open with me. If you, if you don't, maybe grab one out of the P-Rack in front of you and turn to Isaiah chapter 40. And uh, maybe somebody, if you grab one of the Bibles out of there, you can shout out the page number. I should have done that earlier. Maybe if somebody doesn't know their way around the Bible, you can shout out what page number Isaiah 40 starts on and it will help them get there. And we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 40 together this morning, and um, we're going to hear the word of the Lord. And, and as we hear it and look at it, my, my prayer, in my heart is that you would walk away with a fear, a reverence of the Lord, because that's the beginning of wisdom. What page is it on in the Puba? The, 347. Did I say that right? 347. So, Isaiah chapter 40 is maybe one of, uh, in my opinion, the most powerful chapters in the Bible speaking of the awesomeness of our God and the grandeur of who he is. It's, it's one, of the, one of the greatest chapters ever penned on, on God's uh, magnificent glory. Uh, look at verse 3. Just start in verse 3 there. It says, a voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Clear the way, in other words, for God to work. I talked about that. Sometimes maybe one of the biggest things that keeps us from hearing the Word of God and from having a great fear and reverence for Him is simply having things that are blocking the way of the Lord in our hearts and in our lives. Um, there's obstacles. sometimes it's circumstances. Sometimes it's problems I'm facing or you're facing. Sometimes it's other people is the hindrance and is the obstacle. Other times, guess who the problem is? <laughs> Me. You. You're the, you're the problem. You're the obstacle from you being able to hear from the Lord. You, you know, God wants nothing to be in the way of you hearing and responding to his word. He, he tells Isaiah, Isaiah's prophesying, there's a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God, that every valley would be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. You know, if you're gonna hear from God, one of the things you may need to do is just stop and be still and be quiet. Like it says in, in, I believe, Psalm 40 or 41, be still and know that I am God. You're like, yeah, but I got all these obstacles, all these problems and, yeah, I've heard And maybe, are you tired of hearing your voice yet? Even talking to yourself about all the things that are in the way of you hearing from God? Maybe you just need to be quiet and be still and hear from him. Whoever hears these words of mine, Jesus says, are you listening? Look at verse six of Isaiah 40. A voice says, cry out or cry, or your translation might say, call out. God tells Isaiah to call out and Isaiah, look at him. He's like, well, what, what, do, I, what do I say? What do I say? What, what, what do you want me to say, Lord? How, how can I describe you? Verse five, had just talked about his glory. And he's, he's like, how can I describe you? Uh, I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, as somebody has to get up and preach God's word, I feel this a lot throughout the week, especially when I hit like Friday and Saturday and maybe I'm unsettled on exactly. And, and it's like, who would, who would want to come hear me? And what I have to say. I have nothing to say. Why in the world? Well, Isaiah answers my question. He says, all flesh is grass. He affirms what I'm feeling, that all all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it and surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, verse eight, but the word of our God will stand forever. There's my answer, right? Right? It's not not about me. It's about his word. And wisdom begins with hearing his word. It begins with hearing a word from the Lord. So let's see what Isaiah goes on here. After we've prepared the way, you move those obstacles, you be still before God. See what Isaiah says about him. Check out verse 10. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Maybe that's your understanding of God. Verse 10 talks about this God who is of, of great power and great might and to be greatly feared. And, and uh, he's coming uh, with, with his wages, with, with your wages, with his recompense for sin. And this strong arm, like, like listen, get, get it right. And he comes in power, right? Demanding holiness and righteousness and justice. But look, um, look at verse 11. There's another description of him. He will tend his flock though like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So we've got two descriptions of God. We've got one where he has this arm of awesome might and power and then uh, with, with an arm of tenderness and mercy and love and grace and kindness to us. Never forget one without the other. Never forget his tenderness is because of his might and, and never uh, be confused that in his might, he isn't also tender and caring for you. Isaiah is telling us these things about who he is. He's almighty and he's tender. Look at verse 12. Now check this out. Who has measured, he's describing God as the one who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. Do you got your hands on you today? you got them with you? I hope so. Take them and just hold them out in front of you for a second. Go ahead and cup them like this. And you don't need to look at me. You can just look at your hands. Um, I encourage you to do this. Look look at your hands. When you you cup your hands like this, that, that spot you're looking at is the hollow of your hand. I wonder how much water could you hold in the hollow of your hand, the palm of your hand? Maybe a cup, maybe a little bit, and then Um, Now now it says, listen, what what does Isaiah say? You can just keep your hands like that. I'll read it to you. The one who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. In other words, the waters of the whole earth. Look how awesome God is. In God's hand, he holds all the waters of the oceans, the rivers, the lakes, the seas of the world. Just so you know, that's 912,500 cubic miles of water. So in other words, a mile by a mile by a mile, 912,500 912, times. And God's like, yeah, I got it in my hand. Not a problem. Not a problem. Look, Isaiah keeps going, though. Uh, he, he, he measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and he marked off the heavens with a span. Do you still got your hand out? Uh, take it and go like this now, and, and just... Uh, Look, the, the, the point from your pinky finger to the tip of your thumb is called the span of your hand. I, it says that God measured the heavens with the span of his hand. I was, I was thinking about it a little bit. I wondered who had the biggest span, hand span, in all of the NBA. Like, those guys have probably got some of the biggest hands. Do you know who it is? They anybody know? Well, it's a guy. Here's, here's his name. Here's his picture, too. Boban Boban Marjanovic. He plays. I think he, he's kind of a journeyman. He plays for the Clippers, I think, right now. Over 14 inches. Look at those mitts, man. Look at him on that ball. Like, like, check this out. Here, I got a cricket ball from India. I can kind of, I can kind of get my hand around that, right? How about here you go, Brian? Oh, good catch. You can, get, you can kind of get your hand around that too, right? Jake probably can't, but you could. No, I'm just kidding. Good work, Jake. You got it. You got it. You got your hand around it. The span of your hand, just awesome. And and you know what? Look look what it says about God. He marked off the heavens with a span. It's like uh, Boban is holding the basketball. God's like, yeah, I got the earth like that. The whole earth in the palm of my hand. Reminds you of the song when you're a kid, right? He's got the whole world in his hands. But literally, look look at that. God says, see the earth? Over 25,000 miles around. Josh, you can barely hold that cricket ball in your hand, you know, about eight inches around. And I, listen, I've got, I've got the whole earth in the span. I, I measured it with the span of my hand. You getting an idea of how awesome and great he is? Keep reading. It says that he enclosed uh, the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed out the mountains in scales and the hills on a balance. Uh, Enclose the dust of the earth in a measure. Think, of the, think of, of, of the effort. You ever had to dig a hole in your backyard? You ever had to plant a tree? I don't know about your yard, but my yard is like hard as a rock. And once you get beyond about a foot down, I mean, you're just, you're rattling every time you slam the shovel in the ground, you know? Like on a Looney Tune cartoon, like you just start shaking. And God's like, yeah, listen, all the... the All the dust of the earth I have in an enclosure. It's like dust on the scales. Like not a problem for me. He weighed the mountains in scales, the hills in a balance. Just like, you know, I've got the Rockies over here and I'll weigh them against the Alps over here. Look at verse 21. Does that make you feel small, by the way? You start to consider how great and awesome our God is. He says, do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It's he who sits above the circle of the earth, describing God. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. If you didn't feel tiny yet, the next time you're out in your backyard this spring and you start to hear the crickets and the bugs chirping, Like, that's like the whole inhabitants of the earth before God. Like, just tiny compared to his grandeur and how he is. And look, it says the circle of the earth. He sits above the circle of the earth. So uh, 2,000 years before Columbus, God discovered that the earth was round. Think about that for a second. Let me say it again. 2,000 years before Columbus, God discovered that the earth was round. No, he made it round. Listen, God's, God's word isn't contradicted by science, right? I saw this article the other day that says, oh, Bible believing Christians, you think the earth is flat. Listen, God didn't make it flat, and the Bible doesn't teach it's flat. It's the circle. The circles are round like in every geometry class I ever had. He sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, he spreads them like a tent to dwell in. God put up the universe just like you and I put up a tent. He just stretches it out. That's the grandeur of his might and of his power and how awesome he is. Uh, James McDonald wrote this in in a a book on this passage, uh, gripped by the greatness of God. Uh, Check this out in terms of, of God's majesty compared to the earth. He says, do you have any idea the immensity of the universe God spoke into existence. He says, I've tried for many years to find a decent description. So try this on for size. We're on planet Earth, and we are 93 million miles from the sun. So imagine that as a thickness of a piece of paper, right? You got your bulletin? That's not, that thickness of that piece of paper is 93 million miles. With that in mind, the distance to the nearest star is a stack of paper 71 feet high with every single piece of paper representing 93 million miles. 71 feet. I'm pretty sure to the point right up there is about 35, it's either 35 or 45 feet, I don't remember. So a stack of paper 75 feet tall, each piece of paper in, the, in each ream of 500 sheets of paper is uh, 93 million miles and that's the next nearest star to us from the sun. Um. The size of our galaxy, then the Milky Way galaxy, is represented by a stack of paper 310 miles high. The distance from Chicago to St. Louis. That's just, a, that's just your neighborhood. With every single piece of paper in that stack representing how much? 93 million miles. That's just our galaxy, one among millions. Millions. You're like, oh yeah, I can get my mind around that. I'm with you. I got that so far. He goes on. He writes, "Well, the the known universe is the, the known universe. We keep discovering more. Is a stack of paper 31 million miles high, with every single piece of paper representing 93 million miles." Now, if those of you, he says, now, those of you who like math, there are 10.4 million sheets of paper in a stack one mile high. Therefore, the known universe is 31 million miles of paper with each mile representing 10.4 million sheets of paper and each sheet of paper representing 93 million miles. Are you getting a headache? That's the grandeur and majesty and awesomeness of our God. And the fear of the Lord, the reverence of him is the beginning of wisdom. He's in control of creation, right? But let's keep reading in Isaiah forty. Maybe you're worried about uh, just politics and things going on in the world today. Look at verse twenty-three. He says, "He's the one who brings princes to nothing. He makes the rulers of the earth like as emptiness." Are you worried about uh, rulers of the earth? Are you worried about war? Are you worried about foreign powers? Are you worried about terrorism? God's like that's it's it's less than nothing. To me. In fact, that's what he says in verse 17. All the nations are as nothing before him. They're accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. It's a small thing. Verse 15 says, it's like a drop in the bucket to God. Do you feel tiny yet? Do you see God as big yet? Go back to verse 18. To whom then, Isaiah writes, will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? Well, A craftsman crafts that. A goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it with silver chains. He who's too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that won't rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. It's like, really? You're going to worship that idol then? So you can't control God, so you're trying to create a God that you can control. It's a piece of wood, Right? It's a dead tree, bro. It's not God. It's an idol. You might overlay it with gold and with silver, but... And you're like, yeah, but i never done that. Yeah, but you know what? You think of what are the things that we set up as idols in the place of God. Your career. Your family. Athletics. Art. Music. My preferences. I mean, all these things become idols, don't they? And... and, and Isaiah's like, listen, it's like, it's like going down and, and chopping down a piece of wood and holding it up. You would never do that, would you? Yet that's exactly what we do when we make those things idols because God is the one who's awesome. He's the one who's worthy of praise. In fact, in verse 13, if we, we work back a little bit, he says, who's measured the spirit of the Lord? What man shows him counsel? In other words, who can direct God? Who can give almighty God counsel? Who can give him Wisdom. He's the source of wisdom. What's the answer? Who can? Who can? Who can give God wisdom? No one. I'll I'll just read verse 14. You can answer uh, the right answer to each of these questions. Uh, Whom did he, whom did God consult? Who made him understand? No one. Who taught him the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge? Who showed him the way of understanding? No one. Loved ones, I'm going through this because in Isaiah, he tells us that that God is awesome. He is greatly to be feared and and revered. And and in in reality, compared to him, we we are just tiny. And the truth of the matter is, he doesn't need you and he doesn't need me. Now that might make you feel bad about yourself and I understand if it does, but that's not even the point. The point is then, in his love for you, it's not because of anything good about you. It's all because he's good. It's all because he chose to love you. This awesome and incredible and almighty God knows the details of your life and he cares about you, not because you're good, but because he is. Stop and rest and think about that. That's the beginning of wisdom. To have a fear and a knowledge of the Lord, knowledge of the Holy One brings insight. Proverbs tells us, he doesn't need you or me, he chooses us. In fact, in verses 27 and 28 of chapter 40, he addresses that issue. You know, like, why why do do you say my way is hidden from the Lord? Like, he just doesn't care then, does he, right? No, he goes, haven't you known, haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't faint, he doesn't grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And then look at his tenderness and goodness in 29 through 31. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths will faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Here's the point. God is awesome. And wisdom begins with with knowing who he is, knowing and hearing his word. And what's incredible is this awesome God says, hey, do you want wisdom? I mean, who wouldn't want wisdom from from that God, right? Guess what he says? Ask me. In James 1 verse 5, "If if any of you among you lacks wisdom, ask of God who gives generously without reproach. Maybe you need to get alone this week with God and rediscover the awesomeness of your God. Turn off the cell phone, shut down the computer, a pad of paper, a pen, and a paper Bible, and you just get alone with Him and look at His Word and and be struck with the awesomeness of your God. That's the beginning of wisdom. That's the beginning of knowing how to live. It's being struck and gripped with the awesomeness of who God is. And it begins with hearing his word. Romans ten seventeen, Paul says that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. James tells us in chapter one, verse 21, to put away all filthiness and wickedness and receive with meekness the, the implanted word. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says then to be... Quoted this already, to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. See, so if, if wisdom begins with hearing God's word, there's more to it than that. It goes on because wisdom also means then doing what you know. Doing what you know. Strive to attain knowledge, right? Knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs nine ten. But don't stop there with just that head knowledge, Wisdom is when I do what I know. When I do what I know. Listen, this is what Jesus says. Let's go back to our passage in Matthew. Everyone, he says then, who hears these words of mine and does them, and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. His little brother James in chapter 3 said in verse 13, who's wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. True wisdom is knowledge. It's not just knowledge. It's knowledge that is rightly applied. It's knowledge that's rightly applied. Uh, When Jesus was confronted, um, uh, his his mothers and brothers come to show up and, and grab him in the midst of his ministry. They think he's gone a little crazy and Uh, They're like, hey, Jesus, your mom and your brothers are here. And he's like, "Uh, who are my mothers and brothers? Who are my mother and brothers? It's it's those who hear my word and who does my word. Those who hear the word of God and do it. And then at one point in Luke 11, a a woman in the crowd raised her voice and yelled to him. She said, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast of which you nursed. But, But Jesus replied, he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. Wisdom is when I, I do what God wants me to do I, when I put that knowledge into practice. so think about this series so far right about uh, we 're exiles, and God has an economy for love in our in our families and in our homes and and there's uh, we 're to imitate Him in our work and we 're to to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with our God and show hospitality to those who are strangers among us. And that's all great to know all that, but are we doing it? That's wisdom. Parents, I have a question. When you, when you tell your kids something, do you tell them uh, to do something? Do you, do you tell them, or you tell them something, excuse me, and then you ask this question, you say, uh, hey, did you hear me? Now, are you asking, did they hear what you said? What are you really asking? Are you asking, like, did they hear that noise coming out of my mouth? Did did you hear me? What are you really asking? Are you listening to me? And why don't you do what I tell you to do? See, that's what what Jesus is doing here. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. We're experiencing that a little bit with Charlie right now. He just turned two in December, and... Um, You know, in one sense, he's two. And so there's certain things he doesn't know any better. And he's just, he's a ball, a little ball of energy. On the other hand, there are absolutely times where he hears me tell him something to do, or he hears Hannah tell him something, and he goes the other direction like he couldn't hear us. Like, dude, you got the best hearing in the house. You totally heard what we said. (laughs) Right? But how often does God do that with us? You gotta remember that, that in, even in my home, in my parenting, ultimately I'm imaging God and he's giving me a picture of his love and care for me. And so when, when I'm telling, when I'm wanting Charlie to listen, maybe God is really wanting me to listen. And not just hear the word, but do it and obey it. See, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a man who built his house on the rock. Luke, in his account of this, in Luke chapter 6, says, uh, re- phrases it like this. He's a, like a man who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Jesus' concern in this parable is, is the foundation on which a home and a house is built. And ultimately then, by, by way of analogy, on, on the foundation on which your life is built. See, the, the contrast to the guy who builds on the rock is the guy who builds on what? sand. Now, do you, do, you, do you know of any, any contractor who would purposefully uh, go and build a house or build a structure on a foundation that they didn't think was sound? Do you know anybody who would do that? I don't. I don't think even the people in this day would have done that. But there was this reality in the topography of Israel where uh, the ground was sandy and the sun was hot And so in the summer, when the sun would bake the ground, you would get this crust of sand on the top of the the earth that in some ways was like rock, but in reality was only sand. And so any good builder in that day knew if if you're going to build a house, you can't just build it on the surface. You have to dig deep until you hit rock and then build the house. Because when the waters come, the floodwaters come, check out this video. When the waters come, it's gonna wash away the sand underneath which your house is built. In in Israel, uh, in in some of the desert land in Israel, uh, there are these dry riverbeds called wadis. And so whenever it would rain in, in like the the mountains surrounding that, and this, this, to this day, you can find headlines from the last year of people running from wadis, from flooding uh, river, flash floods in Israel. Uh, the water from all the mountains trickles down into these, and it becomes a raging flood, and they come up out of nowhere. And you can go and watch some of these to where they, they literally just will wipe out pieces of land under what looks like rock, and the, the water hits it, and the whole thing just crumbles and crashes down. And if you're ever around the Dead Sea and you hear that there was a storm up in the mountains, even if it was miles away, get away from the wadi because you will end up in the Dead Sea. Mimicking it, dead, (laughs) right? See, he says, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, they beat on that house and it didn't fall, why? Because the builders had dug deep and it was founded on the rock. Jesus says, if you want your life to be founded on the rock so that uh, you, you need to not just hear what I say, but do what I say. And by the way, that begins with repentance, with turning and saving faith to him. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. You can spend your entire life in church and still spend eternity in hell if you haven't repented of your sin and trusted Jesus. What's the foundation of your life? Are you, are you hearing his word and doing it? Because the reality is that during your life in exile, the winds are gonna come, the floods are gonna hit, the rains are gonna fall, and it's gonna be hard. Anybody who's lived more than about 20 minutes knows that. I mean, I could go I could go back and recount some of the things in Hannah and I's life over the last couple years, uh, personally in our home, and, 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 and things with work, with church, with with all kinds of stuff that, listen, the house is wobbling in my life. And it was a test to say, what, Josh, what's built on rock and what's built on sand? And sometimes you realize, oh, that was sand, but thankfully I, I still have a foundation. And God will do that to test you But it's a lot better to know that ahead of time before the floodwaters come, and especially before the flood of God's judgment comes. Because there's coming a day where the flood of His judgment will come, and no one will stand except for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And Revelation tells us, in fact, that He will make them stand. Is your house on the rock or the sand? Thing of foundations, I was researching skyscrapers this week. Wondered, how do, what kind of foundation does a skyscraper have? The largest skyscraper in the world is the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. I've got, had an email and some pictures from Mariah, who's, uh, Mariah sings on our worship team and she's in uh, South Africa now for a couple months on a missions trip and on their way they went to Dubai and they got to go to the top of this skyscraper. It was pretty cool. And... Uh, do you know how, it's the tallest one in the world right now. There's going to be a bigger one that's a kilometer high in Saudi Arabia in a couple of years, but they're still building it. But the foundations, you know what the foundations are like under this building? They have a slab that's it's down in the earth that's uh, about three to four meters thick of concrete underneath the whole building. A little bigger than the slab under my house. And uh, <laughs> Then there's these, uh, these columns that are bored down 50 to 100 and more feet down to bedrock all over underneath this foundation that, that go down, 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 and are filled with concrete and steel to form the foundation of this building. The Sears Tower has, uh, has like a 100 foot foundation, and then below that, 100 foot columns, and below those, more columns that go even deeper into bedrock to form a foundation. What, what's your foundation? As we sang already, on is it is it on Christ the solid rock you stand? All other ground is sinking sand. See, everyone Jesus says who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. You, you may you may think you're on solid ground, but if you haven't repented and trusted Jesus, I'm telling you you're not. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat against that house, and it fell. Great was the fall of it. Well, we're not going to go much beyond that this morning, because in your 110 group, you're going to look at more of the application of this then, and how does this, how does this work out in terms of this whole idea of living as an exile, as somebody with wisdom for the life and good of other people. But the first thing for you to examine is simply, our, is your foundation on Jesus Christ, and then once that's the case and you're doing what he says, you're hearing his word, you're putting it into action. I'll just end with this point and we'll look at Second Peter and then we'll call it a morning and you'll explore this more in your 110 group. But uh, rightly acquiring and applying knowledge, in other words, wisdom, what it does, guys, is it enables you to love and serve people in an increasing way. If you live with wisdom, think of each arena of your life living with wisdom. Ultimately what that does is obviously it it honors God, it brings blessing to you, but it allows you to serve and bless others in an increasing way. You'll be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. You'll exhibit God's wisdom and be fortified in his power. He's building a foundation in your life as you obey him and, and that foundation will allow you to flourish and and, and rise and be tall and strong uh, to bless others. 2 Peter one three through eight. We'll read this and um, then we'll, we'll wrap up this morning. He says, he writes, his divine power, Jesus' divine power, is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. you want to know how to live? Peter tells us that that, that Jesus has given you in. In his word, everything you need for life and godliness. Wisdom begins with hearing that word and then putting it into practice. Through, look through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. So for this reason... Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're increasing in knowledge and you're increasing in wisdom, putting that knowledge into practice— it will keep you from being unfruitful in ministry in the world. And it will bring glory to God and good to others and joy to you. Amen? Listen, if you're not in a 110 group, I'd encourage you in your bulletin under uh, the 110 homework, there's a, there's a website with a link to some videos and a password you can put in. And there's videos each week uh, that kind of supplement what we're teaching on Sunday mornings. And uh, those questions in your bulletin go along with that video. But with that, let me pray. Uh, Then we'll take our offering and we'll sing together and call it a morning. Father, thank you for Jesus. And uh, Lord, thank you that you you give us wisdom when we ask for it. So Lord, I pray that this morning and ask for that for myself and for our church today. You tell us in your word that if any of us are lacking wisdom, and the truth is we all lack wisdom, um, to ask of you and that you'll give it to us without reproach you're, you're the one who gives wisdom and you yourself are wisdom so help us lord to continue to hear and to study your word i pray for uh, for each of us give us um give us the time give us the discipline to just spend time alone with you this week to to, to sit in awe of who you are in, in reverence of your majesty and your glory and then Lord help us to put into practice what we know you would have for us and what you would know we know you would have us to do. And Father, might you take that then and use it uh, in our lives and in the life of our church and in our community for the good and service of others. Lord, we love you, we thank you for Jesus. We pray all of this through Him. Amen.